Thanks very much for coming out this Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Thanks to those who download these podcasts from iTunes. I invite your correspondence, comments, and feedback. My email is at utahkrishnas at gmail.com. We also have a membership class online on our website, utahkrishnas.org. I'd like to thank those that have taken the membership class and become members. We couldn't do what we do without your help and support. Everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder, Acharya, of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Today we'd like to talk to you about enjoying the journey. Life is not really so much about getting to a destination. We all have to be goal-oriented to some extent, to pursue our dreams, to follow our ambitions, but it's also very, very important that we live well and enjoy ourselves on the way. <clears throat> There's no such thing as a finish line in life. We're all works in progress. In the great classic literature, Chaitanya Charnarita, which was written by Krishnadas Kavaraj, it was the biography of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. At the end of every chapter, he talks about his two spiritual mentors, his two spiritual gurus, Rupa and Raghunath Goswami. He says, Rupa Raghunathe Padi Akubi. He says that I would simply like always to be in such a position as to see the dust of their lotus feet in the distance. He wasn't talking about these two perfected spiritual beings as if they had achieved a sort of a template of standard behavior and lumped them in with all kinds of other perfected beings, all of who look the same, walk the same, talk the same. No, he was defining perfection as someone who is always moving forward, as someone who is always progressing. And even after liberation... He's saying that we still have things to learn, we still have places to go, we still need to be moving forward, and that will never stop. So his prayer is not to be perfect like Rupa and Sanatan, but his prayer is as they are moving forward, let him also move forward at at least the same pace and not drop back so that he loses sight of the dust of their lotus feet. Let him always advance at least to the degree that he can keep the lotus feet, the dust from the lotus feet of his spiritual gurus in sight. But let's not become so goal-oriented that we overlook the simple joys of life. You all know what's it like. You challenge, you get to the top of one mountaintop, and after a moment of savoring the uh, conquest, having overcome the challenge, what should happen? But in the distance, another mountain looms, it beckons, it challenges you. The amount of time that we spend in our lives on mountaintops is fractional. We have a few big events, a marriage, a wedding, the birth of a child, a graduation, a big game. Uh, but other than that, most of our life is spent waiting for something, preparing, sowing the seed, cultivating, doing the humdrum, the mundane, the routine. And unless we find enjoyment in all these little, simple, quotidian things, we're going to miss what matters most in life. A lot of people make the mistake of living only for the big moments, of living only for the mountaintops. They're so focused on promotion, working day and night, stressed out about raising their children, about providing for their family, that they miss out on enjoying their children and enjoying their family. They get so focused on solving daily problems, of being the big problem solver for the family, they don't enjoy the best moments of each day. 
Some people spend their whole lives chasing a goal, and when they achieve it, it wasn't at all what they thought it would be. If you count on the achievement of goals to deliver you happiness, instead of happiness, you're setting yourself up for misery. There are only three things happen when you're a goal-oriented person. One is that you don't get what you want. God thinks that you're too immature. You're not ready for it. Or he thinks it's bad for you. Or maybe he puts it way beyond your time frame in order to teach you patience. Second thing is, you get it, someone steals it, or you lose it. So you cry. Oh, I had it, but I lost it. Boo hoo hoo hoo. Third thing is, you get it, and some other you figure out how to retain it, but it loses its luster. You become disenchanted with it after a short period of time, and then you set some other goal, some other achievement. Junkyards are full of rusting, unrecognizable, decayed things that were once someone's goal, someone's ambition. Dion Sanders, from a very, very early age, he set as his goal to win a Super Bowl, and he did everything that one should do to achieve that goal. He trained, he worked on his speed, he worked on his strength, he worked on his football skills, and finally, after decades and decades of preparation, I don't know what finger you put it on, uh, he put the ring on his finger and he was quoted as saying, is that all there is to it? Is that all there is to it? So let's learn to slow down and enjoy the gifts that surround us. We didn't create the Wasatch Mountains. We didn't create the canyon trails. We didn't create the beaver dams. We didn't create the creeks. We didn't create the changing foliage of autumn, nor the aromatic, beautiful hues of spring. We didn't even create these amazing bodies in which we reside. Nothing we're surrounded by, not even our bodies, is of our own creation. They're all gifts given by God. And how does he give? He gives open-handedly. Even though as a society and as individuals, we don't especially acknowledge God or follow his directions for our lives. Still he gives open-handedly. If all this is offered to disobedient sons or at best indifferent sons, what is in store for us if we revive our God consciousness and thrill at the prospect of doing his bidding in this world? What would happen for us and to us if we transformed into good sons. And our transformational process, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. This is our method for enjoying each and every moment of our God-given days. Recognizing you can't live off of your Super Bowls. Learn to enjoy the simple things. Take a walk with your spouse. Get up early and listen to the singing of the birds. Sit down to a meal with the other devotees. I said several times over the weekend in Salt Lake City that I love it when the devotees put the tables together and six or eight devotees sit down together. They tell stories. They share realizations. They exchange ideas about how to build the devotional community up there. Those are some of the sweetest, most memorable moments in that temple. A lot of people delude themselves by thinking, well, if I just get to the next level, then I'll slow down and enjoy my life. No, we're saying today, slow down right now. Take time for the people that God has put into your life. They may not always be there. 
The most common regret of successful people is that they didn't take time for their families. I heard about a man who was invited to the White House, and he accepted the invitation. In the meantime, his son's basketball team was in the state tournament, and they kept winning and winning and advancing and advancing and advancing toward the semifinals. Come to pass that on the very night that he was supposed to fly to Washington and meet the president, that his son's team was playing for the state championship. He called up the White House. He respectfully declined. He went to the game. It was a very exciting game, back and forth the whole time. It came down to the last second, and his son was the one that hit the winning shot, and his team won the state championship. He said that moment was worth more than 500,000 visits to the White House. I will treasure that moment every day of my life. And speaking of every day of our lives, don't miss a day when you don't tell your wife, tell your children, tell your students, tell the fellow devotees how much they mean to you, how glad you are that they are in your life, how much you appreciate them. I heard about a preacher. His wife was so supportive. I was hoping my wife would be here for this. Oh, there she is. His wife was so supportive that her habit was to go and listen attentively to each one of the three services that he preached at every weekend at his church. And the sermon was exactly the same. And yet she would sit there week after week, month after month, year after year, pretending that she'd heard it for the first time, laughing at all the jerks, jokes that she'd heard so many times before. And after each and every service, she would come up to him and say, Honey, that was a great message. It would lift him off the feet, inspire him. One Sunday, she actually came up to him and said, Honey, that was a fantastic message. He was on cloud nine. His feet didn't touch the ground. The next Sunday, she went back to, Honey, that was a great message. And he was let down. He was disappointed. He, he was even offended. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> One week he was invited out of town earlier in the week and he gave five sermons at other churches. He came back to his own church and he gave three sermons. His wife had accompanied him. She heard each one of those eight sermons, all the illustrations, all the examples, all the jokes, and she still sat during that eighth service on the edge of her seat as if she was hearing it for the first time. Wasn't whispering to anyone on the right, anyone to the left, wasn't looking around, her knee wasn't jerking, her foot wasn't spazzing out. She didn't find some emergency to get her up and call her out of the room. She wasn't texting. <laughs> she was putting on a show, and the preacher knew that after eight times, she must have been sick to death of the sermon, the examples, the jokes, uh, and he knew she was faking it. But he also knew that she was faking it just to support him and just to make him feel inspired. Don't take sacrifices like that for granted. Make sure the people in your life who celebrate you know how much they're appreciated. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna was going through a rough patch. He was suffering from low self-esteem, confusion. He didn't know what to do. And it would be easy to exploit a situation and talk down to someone like Arjuna. But Krishna didn't do that. He poured into him confidence. He poured into him knowledge, wisdom, self-esteem. 
Some of the names by which Krishna referred to Arjuna during the course of the Bhagavad Gita are, O mighty armed, O winner of wealth, O subduer of the enemy, son of a noble mother, scion of the great race of Bharat. Krishna poured into Arjuna faith, confidence, appreciation. Imagine if we did that to our husband and our wife. Instead of harboring about the way they are now, recognizing that we're all in a state of becoming. We're all works in progress and talk about what a great man or woman of faith they could be rather than what they are at present. Whatever we call each other determines the direction of our futures. And some of you have heard me tell this story before about Bruce Wilkerson. Bruce Wilkerson was a rookie professor at a small New England college, and he was given his first course assignments from the office of the dean. And one of his colleagues, who had been around for a couple of years, looked over his shoulder and said, Bruce, you lucky dog. Bruce said, how is that? Out of your five sections, two of them are section A, gifted students. So Bruce tried to teach and treat all of his students equally, but he couldn't get out of his mind that endorsement for these two particular classes. So he had higher expectations for them, and whether it was conscious or unconscious, he poured more into them. And sure enough, at the end of the semester, they all got higher marks in those two sections and the other three sections, and their term papers were thicker, which is a sure sign that they'd been infected by his enthusiasm. So the next day, next year, it's a new semester, and the dean himself is passing out the course assignments, and Bruce happens to say to the dean, I hope I get some section A's this year. The dean says, what did you say, Bruce? Section A's. I hope I get some section A's. Bruce, we don't have section A's. Yeah, you do. I got two of them last year. No, Bruce, we discontinued that program six years ago. Just see, because of his expectations, because of the way he saw them, because of how he poured into them, they rose to the standard of his expectations. So imagine if we applied that same principle to the people in our lives, recognizing that we wouldn't have arrived where we are in life without those who sacrificed for us, our mother, our father, our grandparents, our teachers, our coaches. Maybe they weren't perfect. Maybe they made mistakes, but Krishna didn't make a mistake when he sent them into your life. He had a divine purpose for it. A lot of people, because of the economy and the pressures today, they're making a living, but they're not making their lives. They're working all the time, stressed out, bringing tension home, too busy to enjoy what God has given them. When you come to the end of your life, there will still be work at the office. There will still be papers pouring over the inbox. Your work will never, ever be finished. If you don't make your family, and in a greater sense, your spiritual family of devotees, a priority, you don't spend time with them, invest in them, you'll miss out on what matters most. When your days come to an end and you have to leave this earth, your job will not be there to comfort you. Your bank balance will not comfort you. Your bowling trophy will not comfort you. Your stock portfolio will not comfort you. The newspaper articles with your picture in them will not comfort you. None of those will comfort you and help you transition from this life to the life that never ends. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not good to be hardworking. I'm not saying it's uh, not good to be focused. I'm not saying it's not good to be driven. But I'm saying it's also good to know when to put the work aside, walk away, knowing it will still be there tomorrow. 
Work hard, but also play hard. If you don't make those decisions, those who you love will get your leftovers, your leftover time and your leftover energy, and they deserve better than that. If you're bringing stress home, the whole house will tense up. I heard about a man, he came home, he'd had a hard day at the office. He said something sharp to his wife. His wife said an unkind word to the older daughter. The older daughter pinched the younger daughter. The younger daughter kicked the cat. The cat scratched the baby and the baby ripped off the head of her dog. Now you think it would save a lot of time, a lot of stress, a lot of trouble. The man just walked in the door and just directly went to ripping the head off the dog. Wouldn't you think so? That was a joke. You can laugh. Uh, uh, uh. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm coming in. too serious. There may, in fact, be some opportunities in your career which you may want to pass up because you don't want your life to go by at a blur. I remember when I was 11 or 12 years old, my father worked for a company, Westinghouse Air Brakes. They made brakes for trains and buses and all. And he got an offer to go to Brazil and be the president of a plant up there and a great increase in salary. But my father was born and raised in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. His parents, his grandparents were there. His ancestors had settled there. He loved the history. He loved the lore of it. He had his friends. He had his golf partners. And he took pleasure in the everyday goings-on in Ligonier Valley. And he didn't even for a moment consider this exotic posting to faraway um, Brazil. So we don't want to be too busy, we don't want to be too caught up in our careers and getting advancement and getting promotions, that we can't go for a walk, that we can't enjoy the sunrise and the sunsets, get up early and hear the birds singing, go and work out occasionally at the gym. I heard about Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, when he was a boy, taking a walk through the woods with his uncle. They came to a field. The uncle just went right across the field, made a beeline from one side of the field to the other. But Frank Lloyd Wright, as a young boy, he went and he saw an old fort that was in disrepair. He went and saw a pond and the fishes there. He went and chased some rabbits and some deer. And he finally came to the same spot where his uncle had arrived. And his uncle said, son, I want to teach you a lesson. The quickest way between two points is a straight line. I've been waiting here for you for 15 minutes. Frank Lloyd Wright said that was the best lesson he ever learned in his life. But he took it in the opposite way. He took it, I arrived at the same spot my uncle had arrived at, but I enjoyed all the sights on the way. <laughs> there should always be a balance on the one hand between working hard, being focused, accomplishing dreams, and on the other hand, taking time to smell the roses. Be the kind of person who is fun to be around. Oftentimes we do weddings and we set up the four-sided mundup here, and I tell people, the four corners of the mandap represent the four things a girl is looking for in a husband. Arta, Kama, Dhamma, and Moksha. Arta means economic development. A girl wants a good provider, someone who has an income. And they also want Dharma. They want their husband to have come by that income honestly, to have gotten an honest wage for an honest day's work. And then it's good if your husband is focused on the next life. Not just in the here and now, but doing everything now with a view for eternity or moksha or liberation. But aside from being a good provider, aside from having honesty and integrity, and aside from having a view towards eternity, a husband should just plain be fun to be around. That he should be someone with whom you can do life and enjoy the journey. 
I heard about a girl who was dating two guys. One was good-looking, handsome, and talented. The other one, not so much so. She decided to marry the second guy. The first fellow said he was stunned. He said, why did you decide to marry this guy instead of me? She said, well, whenever I was with you, I felt like you were the greatest person in the universe. But whenever I was with him, I felt like I was the greatest person in the universe. So if you change your approach, you slow down, you enjoy the journey, you appreciate more all that Krishna has given to us, you'll still arrive, but your life will have been so much more fulfilled. When was the last time you turned off the TV and walked out at night to appreciate the moon and the stars? Or have you been all business, wanting to do, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish? Your loved ones will not always be around. Make memories together. Go on walks. Sit together at the end of the day. Growing up, and I know this is not something they do in Indian culture, but my father made it a point almost every day to hug my mother and he made a point of doing it in the presence of my young brother and I. And we used to think that was so schmaltzy. We'd look at each other and we'd roll our eyes. But thinking back on that, he was implanting in us a memory that he was not taking his wife for granted. He was expressing his appreciation to her every day. And even now, even though we're smack dab in this Indian culture and it's not normally accepted to show physical intimacy in public, sometimes I'll go up to my wife right in front of the devotees and just give her a hug. Just give her a hug and tell her in public how much I appreciate her. You may know the story of Bali Maharaj. Bali Maharaj had conquered the entire universe. And uh, Trivikram, an incarnation of Vishnu, had gotten a boon of three steps uh, from Bali Maharaj. So as soon as the boon was granted, he began to expand his body. And with his first step, he covered the entire earth planet. With his second step, he covered whatever else there was within the universe. In fact, he punctured through the hole in the edge of the universe, and that's where the Ganges River came in. But he had one more step. And yet he covered everything that was to be covered in the universe. So he asked Bali Maharaj, where should I put my third step? And without being stymied, without being befuddled, without missing a beat, Bali Maharaj said, put it on my head. Because the possessor is always more important than the possessions. The person is always more important than the things. You can have everything whisked away. All your stuff can be taken away from you. But if you have good, harmonious relationships with the people in your life, you can get all that stuff back, no problem. I remember when I was in the Los Angeles temple in the 80s, certain devotees were passing around these uh, success tapes by a guy named Glenn W. Turner. And Glenn W. Turner, he told a story on these tapes how he wanted to have a net worth of 10 or 20 million dollars. So he earned 1 million dollars and he invested it and lost it. So he'd been a million millionaire once, then he earned another million dollars, he invested it in order to compound it and he lost that. Nine times he was a millionaire and he lost a million dollars, but on the tenth occasion he invested it wisely and he hit the jackpot. He was worth 15 or 20 million dollars. So the point is, the possessor is more important than the possessions. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna says, Of what avail to me are kingdom and territories and opulences without the company of my friends and relatives who would be dead and gone? It's not the things that give us enjoyment. 
It's the people with whom we enjoy the various, various things. Here's a catchy phrase, so I'll repeat it in two different ways. We are living in tomorrow's good old days. Today is tomorrow's good old day. Don't underestimate today. Don't take this moment in time for granted. People need what you have, your smile, your knowledge, your support, your wisdom. They need to know that you care. Don't just be in the house. Don't just be at work. But engage yourself, commit yourself, be involved in the people in those environments. Someone said, it's not the time we spend together, it's the memories we ignite together. I remember as a young devotee, I joined Krishna Consciousness in Australia. And in those days, we had no thought for personal gain or salaries or medical plans. We basically went out in the early morning and we chanted or we distributed books all day, every day. And I remember one trip particularly that Bhai Bobby and I took with four brahmacharis. We had a Volkswagen Kami band and we went up the Gold Coast for about six weeks. We would go out early in the morning, we would sell these paperback Krishna books throughout the day. At the end of the day, we would go to the beach, we'd take a swim, we'd do some body surfing, we'd do some sporting. And we'd pull the primer stove out of the Volkswagen van, we'd fire it up, we'd cook something for dinner, which in those days was mostly the sweet called halva. <laughs> we'd have a little bit of chanting, and then we would pass the Krishna book around the campfire. And I remember every day for six weeks, falling asleep by the campfire, hearing the sound of Krishna book. And then in the pre-dawn hours, we'd wake up and there were showers right on the beach. There was a hatchback on the Volkswagen. So we'd put a picture of Lord Chaitanya, a picture of our guru, a picture of Krishna, and we'd have Mangalarti in the pre-dawn hours. I developed such strong connections with those devotees in those early days of Australia that I have never had connections and relationships with anybody like that before or since. In fact, they brought me back to Australia for... 40-year reunion a couple of years ago. And those people who were then in their 20s are now in their 60s. And some of them are still diligently practicing Krishna consciousness. And some of them have fallen away and gotten absorbed in grandparents and careers and so on and so forth. But one thing they all had in common was they gave the best years of their life unreservably to Prabhupada and Lord Chaitanya and Krishna. They gave the years of their youth to the Sankirtan movement. And there isn't a single one of them, I'll bet you there isn't a single one of them that would trade those days, those experiences, those relationships for all the money in the world. And when I was back in Australia, we told some stories. And those connections were still just as strong. After 30 years of not seeing each other, those connections were still just as strong. No modern generation sacrificed as much for Lord Chaitanya and Prabhupada as that generation. And their pay, their reward, was each other. And each and every one of them would declare themselves more than satisfied. It's possible today to live in a huge apartment complex, to be in a house full of family, or to be in an office where there's hundreds and hundreds of workers and be very, very lonely. Because everybody is busy doing his or her thing. Nobody is stepping up to say, we are spiritually related, we have the common Almighty Father, we're a family, let's get involved, let's support each other in what we're doing. We're better together. 
Arjuna himself, as I mentioned, he said, without my relatives, without my friends, I don't want to do kingdom. I don't want to do career. I don't want to do ruling. I don't want to do ruling. The people in our lives are placed there to lift us up when we slip, and we're there to lift them up when they slip. If we maintain the proper perspective and see things in the big picture, we'll slow down, we'll enjoy the simple things of life. We'll take more walks, we'll look at the stars, we'll think more about Krishna or God's goodness. We'll wake up each morning deciding to savor the moments of the day and we'll imitate Frank Lloyd Wright and start zigzagging more. Someone said, it's not that life is so short, but it's that we wait too long to start. Why don't you begin today? We're not here forever. It's good to work hard. It's good to stay uh, focused. But it's also good to be in balance and play hard too. If you make a decision to slow down and enjoy the journey, you'll enjoy the fullness of what Krishna has in store for you. When you come to the end of your life, you'll have no regrets. You'll be able to say, I made the most out of my time here. I enjoyed those whom Krishna put in my life. I supported and loved them. And in helping them to become all that God intended them to be, I also came into the fullness of his destiny for me. Thank you very much for your kind attention. And if you receive this message, please repeat after me. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare.